Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. To Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, John, you know, because it's pizza miss right now, I uh, I ordered a pizza last night and Catherine uh, asked me, will it be long? And I said, no, Catherine, it will be round. <laughs> well, sometimes they're long. You know those like lean cuisine pizzas from when we were a kid? Yeah. Or even uh, the rectangular yeah. school lunch pizzas yeah, were a little bit long. Yeah, those ones are They can be long. Yeah. Oh, man, I especially oh, I miss commodity pizza. What's commodity pizza? That's what they call those rectangles. Oh, it's, it's really? It's when pizza becomes that. a commodity, and it's priced like a commodity. Like, it's sort of oh. uh, it's uh, Which is priced by the inch. Yeah. And yeah. I, I love it, and I have not, I don't know. I probably would hate it now, but I, I think about it all the time. I had a piece of school lunchroom pizza, mm-hmm. maybe like a year before COVID. Mm-hmm. And it was all right. You know, yeah. like it was a little bit worse than I remembered, but not much worse than I remembered. It, it reminded probably, me actually yeah. of the nine month period. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh God. Sneezing is never normal. It's never normal. Oh, there he is. I never Sneaks sneeze. I don't know there what just is. happened. He has. I had a moment of. I had a moment of weakness, Hank. I had. Mm-hmm. A, I had a moral failing just now, and I feel like I need to tell you about it. I claim that I didn't sneeze, but I did. I did you sneeze. Did. I did just sneeze. don't know what to do about the fact that survive. I'm a sneezer. John, <laughs> the, I I know this because we just had our Patreon live stream. So you currently do still have your pizza, John mustache, as we are recording this. So I you am. were you can probably you can probably hear the mustache in action. <laughs> I've been saying all day that I look like uh, somebody ordered Ted Lasso off Wish.com or I look like the <laughs> yeah. the Costco brand Ted Lasso. Yeah. And Sarah did a great job dressing me up this morning. She really is is a talented costume designer. And she was like, you're going to look most like Ted Lasso based on your wardrobe if you wear this. And I I felt really good about it. And I even even though like my. By the way, all the Pizzamas stuff is only available at Pizzamas.com, only during Pizzamas. All, all our proceeds go to charity. But even when, um, even though my, my pants weren't going to be in the video, I put on Ted Lasso khaki pants anyway. Wow. Wow. Just just to feel more like Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. Which reminds me, did you know, and I think I might have mentioned this to you, but I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, that the guy who plays Jamie Tart, his name is Phil Dunster, the guy who plays Jamie Tart yeah. in Ted Lasso is a big fan of AFC Wimbledon. Because? Because of me. Because of this podcast. It it filled my heart with joy to know that Jamie Tart is an AFC Wimbledon fan, and I hope someday our paths cross at Plow Lane. So anyway, go to Pete'smas.com if you <laughs> have some spare money that you want to spend on just some absolutely ludicrous items and some really beautiful t-shirts, actually. It's yeah, an interesting gorgeous. mix this year. Yeah. And let's have some questions from our listeners. Okay, John. Our first question is from Mark. It's a question that I have always wanted to know the answer to. And so I'm glad that Deboki did the hard work of looking up the answer to it. Mark says, if you've ever gone used car shopping online, you will notice that many, many people either use their finger or an object to cover their license plates. Does that matter? 
Can anyone actually find information about someone using their license plate number? Mark. Um, so, John, I... Yeah. Yes, but only certain people. Mm, yeah. There is a there was a thing passed in 1994 that was the uh, the, the Drivers Privacy Protection Act and you're yeah. not supposed to be able to like the, the DMV is not supposed to release information about you based on your license plate number. If you are if you work at a police department, you can get that information. The most that you can probably get if you unless you have access is like the make and model of the car, not your address. But I feel like there's so much like much easier ways to find people's addresses. And mostly we're just like, have been taught to not share numbers associated with ourselves. Don't share your social security number. Don't share your phone number. Right. But this number is like literally in public all of the time. Yeah, I feel like we're a little bit like one generation behind on what information we're told to protect. Everybody is always like, no, make sure you don't share your driver's license number that you drive around your car with all the time. But- don't at it's all pu- worry about sharing every single second of your location data with like a lot of apps that you aren't even aware that you're sharing your location data with. Yeah, I mean, Google knows way more about me than I do. Way more. Oh, yeah. I have course. forgotten so much stuff that Google knows about me. Yeah. It's it's so it's it's kind it's occasionally. A little lovely. I can go back and see what yeah. I Googled on the day that I got married. You know, like, th- right. like that's that's a that's a thing that I like an insight into my life that I wouldn't. It's a kind of scrapbook, you know, but it's also a kind of scrapbook that's being monetized by one of the lar- largest corporations in the world, which is and, terrifying. And you're right that you only told Google that information or you may have only told this place or that place. But potentially, depending on what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of settings you have online, potentially you're sharing information about where you go online with lots of people, potentially with thousands of different companies. And not only that, a lot of those places are going to share and sell information related to what you do online. And not only that, there are also places that are going to share information related to where your physical body was at certain times. And Mm -hmm. like, so- that to me is really distressing and we need to take it way more seriously. I don't, I, but I also like, I don't know how to, it's, it's wild to me that our, our privacy regulations are in like 1996 and yeah. And they're like license plate numbers. And yeah, but like (laughs) Like we know someone's name, which is much easier to get than someone's license plate number. You can find out a whole lot about them. Yeah, even if you only have access to Google. And there are a lot of tools outside of Google that are vastly more invasive. And I just think it's something we need to think about more. It's stressing me out just just talking about it, actually. It's something Sarah and I have been writing about recently. Like, we've been learning about it, about surveillance capitalism a little bit. And ay ay ay. All right, Nick, I want to ask you another question. This one's from Mayor. It's one that I've never thought about, but... It's really getting to me now. Mayor asks, Dear John and Hank, is the piggy the person on top or on bottom during a piggyback ride? I have red hair, Mayor. <laughs> <laughs> I have never I have never thought about this. It is a piggyback ride. Yeah. I've never thought about it either. How did I make it to 44 years old without ever once so the, thinking about Do you want it's a the piggyback pers- ride? It's the it's person the, on the it's bottom. The, the key thing here. And I've never ridden a pig. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> no, I mean, I I don't like to predict the future, but the chances that I'm going to ride a pig are very similar to the chances I'm going to go to Mars. It's not it, it, not very likely. I, I don't know how much you'd have to pay me to ride a pig, but it would be five figures. <laughs> like I'll just tell you right now. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not riding a pig for $9,000. Oh, I've got, I got better things to do with my life. <laughs> well, also the medical bills might exceed that. I know. Yeah. It's too risky. <laughs> I mean, basically you're offering me $9,000. I know that my uh, deductible every year is, is like 6,500. So <laughs> I, I'm looking at, at, yeah. at, at best, assuming everything goes right. Um, yeah. I'm so, <laughs> So, so I just don't like the value proposition, but I bet that where the term came from 
is that riding on the back of a pig is also a rather jostly experience, just like a piggyback ride is. Mm -hmm. And so I think the the piggy would be the person doing the walking, not the person doing the desperate clinging. Oh, my gosh, John. Piggyback. It had nothing to do with a pig. Shut up. It, it, it converted from pickaback to piggyback. Are you serious? Yes. How could it have nothing to do with a pig? Are you telling me? Wait, so first off, it, not only yeah. am I not going to ride a pig, it turns out I can't. Well, now I want to. <laughs> I'll, you know what? I'll pay you, you $9,000. I want to ride a pig. I Now that I know I can't do it. Yeah, uh, it's it's a pickaback ride was a ride up on the shoulders. I do not know where that came from, though. Maybe it, from it, like you have of, to maybe you have to pick a back like you have to choose which one you would climb <laughs> climb up onto. <laughs> yeah, and it, and then it it you know it's sort of like because it sounded like piggyback, we turned it into a piggyback ride. Wow. But people do ride pigs, also. They do. So just because piggyback ride isn't the origin doesn't mean no one's ever ridden a pig. Are, are you sure about that? Yeah, people have ridden pigs. I think they do it at rodeos. No. So the first Google result here, Hank, is not actually about riding a pig. It's about somebody who's imagining a science fictional universe and wants to know if it's possible to have pig-mounted cavalry. (laughs) Like instead of horse-mounted soldiers, pig-mounted. And then there's a lot of debate about that. But the long and short of it is you can ride a pig and now I don't want to again. (laughs) Perfect. That's what we needed. That's what we needed. Yeah, you could definitely ride a pig. Pigs get really big. I'm sure that the pig wouldn't like it. Um, so don't, but I'm sure that it's been done. Yeah, I apparently you could do it in Minecraft, which is <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've we've settled it now, everyone. Come come join Uncle John and Minecraft World for my, Uncle John's piggyback rides. This next question comes from Megan, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I currently live in a rural Indiana. I'm frequ- I frequently find myself driving behind large farm vehicles. Yeah. Why can't they drive more than 10 to 15 miles an hour? If we could put a man on the moon and a rover on Mars, we should be able to build a better motor and a tractor. More importantly, how on earth do I stay calm and patient while I drive at a snail's pace for miles and miles? Missing Michigan, Megan. Oh, like this wasn't a problem in Michigan, Megan? Come on. Well, well apparently a, where, where Megan was in Michigan. As an, as an Indiana resident who's driven behind his fair share of tractors, let me tell you, I lived in Ohio, same issue. Like, it's not like, you're not one state away from solving the problem, Megan. <laughs> There's, there are a number of tractors all over this beautiful land of ours. Hank, why can't tractors drive fast? Tractors cannot drive fast because uh, they are built not for speed. Uh, they are built for torque. So one of the things that uh, we, we uh, average person who has not worked on a farm often forget about tractors is that the tractor doesn't just power the tractor. It also powers whatever you hook up to the tractor. Right. So you see these like big things that like do a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, They're like uh, doing lifting and cutting yeah, and multiple. Yeah, there's conveyor belts right. and sorting. All of that stuff is powered by a little attachment on the back of the tractor that turns something on that piece of equipment that makes all of the stuff go. So uh, so tractors have to prioritize torque over speed. Um, and so that, that means lower revolution of the wheels for increased ability to pull something. So that's what they're built for. They're not built for speed. They're built for strength. And, uh, and that means that they're never going to be fast. Uh, it would need a bunch of extra gears to move more quickly. And that would make the tractor more expensive. And it's just not worth it. Uh, for at least for them, especially it's not worth it for anyone because you have podcasts and you have to worry about that because you got us delightful people making, just informing you of delightful things about pig rides that you didn't know before. Hank, do you think in the future that this will make it easier to electrify tractors at some point? I'm only basing this on the fact that my electric car is extremely mm-hmm. torquey. Right. Well, kind of. Yeah. It, it has, it has what we call instant torque. You don't have to ramp into the torque at all. Mm. Um, uh, but, but there, there is a, there is a problem, which is that like, it is good for tractors to be in operation for a very long time. Yeah. And they have to, 
they have to have a lot of energy for that whole time. Gasoline mm. is good at that. Diesel is good at that. Um, but, and lithium-ion batteries are getting better at it. So electric tractors, definitely going to happen. Uh, it's just, you know, it might might not be the first thing on the list. But yeah, they, they definitely already exist. And, uh, and I'm sure that there will be m- more of them in the future. Hank, before we get to an ad break, I want to ask this question from Robin about advertising. I like to I like to undercut the value of our advertising anytime we have a chance to. So this question is from Robin who asked, Dear John and Hank, I've been listening to the radio recently as opposed to streaming or podcasts. Uh-huh. Fascinating choice, Robin. Um, <laughs> I make fun of Robin, but actually I also listen to terrestrial radio. Uh, I listen to the radio when I drive my kids to school in the morning because there is a particular radio station here in Indianapolis that they love and I want to support that. So maybe that's Robin's deal as well. I notice that there's just uh, a lot of ads and that the ads are often for big chain jewelry companies. Hmm. And I remember that growing up, there were a bunch of those ads too. What's up with that? Why do I hear about Zales on the radio so often? I'm no thief, but I am Robin. The advertising industry. Uh, here's the thing, Robin. I mean, if you think about like what has to be advertised, like what it, what needs advertising to sell it? One, mm. Pizzamas, Pizzamas.com, you know? <laughs> here's the thing. Like, that's, why we buy, that's why we buy it on all the terrestrial radio stations. You'll hear us on Z100.5. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Every hour on yeah. the hour. That's right. Q95, playing the hits and sharing the good news about Pizzamas. But what I think ultimately needs a lot of advertising money behind it to sell you on the concept is the yeah. concept of decoration. Yeah. Yes. Like decoration there, is, is, an, is an inevitable human wonderful thing to be celebrated. But particular kinds of decoration, saying like this kind of decoration is the really valuable good kind of decoration that you need to be doing if you're going to be the kind of person and partner that you want to be. That needs marketing dollars behind it. That is true. The other thing is that jewelry is very high margin. So so converting one person from one jewelry store to another jewelry store, so they're going to be buying something, you want them to go to your jewelry store, uh, and it is worth spending a lot of money per person who who switches from one place to another place. And yeah. that is one of the reasons why jewelry continues to be high margin, because and watches are also this way. Like these expensive products, they are... They're single purchase. People don't buy them very often, but they uh, spend a lot when they do. And there is, it tend to be a fairly different, fairly wide gap, both in terms of percentage, but mostly in terms of dollars, because they're expensive items between the cost of the item and the purchase price of the item. So a jewelry store can stay in business selling like two things a day, which is just not the case with almost every other retail experience. Yeah, and if you think about the big luxury brands, whether it's Rolex or Dom Perignon or Tag Heuer or whatever, like a lot of what they're doing is not kind of econ 101. You have to find the place where the amount of supply meets the amount of demand, and that's the cost. A lot of what they're doing is like everybody knows that they charge much, much more than the product costs. But the weird thing is part of their marketing budget is actually going to support the people who already bought the thing. Like a huge portion of Rolex's marketing budget is going to people, going to sort of Mm. try to benefit people who already purchased Rolexes so that they can feel really good about their Rolexes and wear their Rolexes. And then Mm -hmm. when other people see that they're wearing a Rolex, they'll be like, wow, you know, that person bought a really high margin item. And if you lowered the price of Rolexes, it might be that you would actually sell fewer Rolexes because the value is not in the like cost of making the good. The value is in something else, something more ethereal. Yeah, I agree with you, John. There are two questions that I really want to get to because they are both very important to my life. This first one is from Megan, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I can sleep in anything, including bras and jeans, and I'm a night owl, and I will do anything to make my mornings easier. So I am wondering whether there is any real reason I can't just change into my clothes for the next day, the night before. Thanks, 
Megan, you and my son are both wondering this. I mean, Megan, there's no reason, reason for anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. You know, like, I mean... (laughs) We're just on a big ball, Megan. We're just <laughs> tiny. Oh, we're on a big ball that's orbiting a bigger ball that's orbiting a black hole. Yeah, I, th- this is the problem I have when people tell me that like something is silly or irrational, and I'm just like, everything's like, well, silly why, and irrational. Why is the reason? And I'm like, we made it all up. <laughs> it's all the same. only. It only matters because it matters. Stop asking so many questions. It's fine. Like if, like. Give me one example of it. You can't, I can't walk around town in an outfit from Star Trek The Next Generation without attracting attention. If I wear a t-shirt and jeans, no attention. If I wear my outfit from Star Trek The Next Generation, attention. There's no reason why. We could all be dressed like Jean-Luc Picard. We just aren't. We just, we made that decision together. Yeah. And so, Megan, you could do whatever. You could put on your Star Trek The Next Generation uniform the night before you wake up, and then you could go to work like that. It's allowed. Uh, well, uh, it depends on your particular place of work, Megan. <laughs> uh, it may not be allowed. You may have to wear a uniform <laughs> that isn't a Star Trek: The Next Generation uniform. But what? I mean, I, I, I did this for years when I was in my twenties. Like I did yeah, it when I was no, a hospital too. chaplain. Like when I would be on call for twenty-four hours. Like you think I would like in the thirty minutes I would have to sleep? You think I would like? Put on pajamas? No, I would lay down and sleep, and then when I woke up, I would stand up and go to work. <laughs> like, yeah, I did. I you did fine. you sleep in your shoes? Because I did for a while sleep in my hiking boots, and I would not. Long-term no, I wouldn't recommend that. that. I wouldn't sleep in my shoes. I would actually put my shoes really, uh, like rigorously and ritualistically next to the bed, right one on the right, left one on the left. And I would try to make it so that when I had to get up, like when the beeper went off and told me that it was time to go to a call, I would like sit up, turn sideways, be on the bed. And then my shoes would be right where my feet were. That was always like the dream situation. Like you save like three seconds that way and you can maybe, you know, get where, get where you need to be a little bit faster. But I, I mean, I'm sure that there are going to be people who tell you that there are health reasons for this or whatever, Megan, but no, it's fine. It's fine. Like, yeah. We're, Megan, I mean, I don't want to get too dark here, but we're, <laughs> we're not going to be here for that much longer. You know? Like, we're talking yeah. about, like, I mean, I don't know how old you are, Megan, but you seem like you're an adult. We're talking about eight, seven decades at the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Sleep let's not worry. Let's sleep. not worry too much about what you're sleeping in. If you're comfortable and you're happy, yeah. Godspeed. Yeah, it might be a little wrinkly when you get up, but it'll it'll you know it'll fluff out. We're not and... gonna, we're not going to be here that much longer, Hank. <laughs> okay, here's my other important question that I need to know the answer to, John. It's from yeah. Castile, who asks, "I love maraschino cherries." But can you maraschino other fruits? <laughs> and I need to know the answer to this because I think I would love. A maraschinoed pineapple or a maraschinoed pear or anything, anything that sounds great. I mean, I'm not sure that it's the exact same process, but the process through which cherries are turned into maraschino cherries is basically this, uh, preserve. It's a way of preserving food and you do it through a mix of, I think, sulfur dioxide, calcium chloride, I assume, and some, uh, syrup, some like sugary, Mm syrup and then if that's the question then the answer is yes you can do it to other fruits like in fact we grew way too many strawberries this year some years we have good strawberry crops i don't even know why if i knew why i would be a strawberry farmer uh but i also (laughs) i this reminds me actually i do know why it's because the groundhog died the groundhog that was my great nemesis that i wrote an entire (laughs) chapter of the anthropocene reviewed book about um celebrated that groundhog celebrated the release of my book the anthropocene reviewed by freaking dying and i was surprisingly devastated at the loss of my great nemesis but anyway it meant that we had a really good strawberry crop and we had too many strawberries so sarah looked up this way of like preserving strawberries that they taste like sort of like strawberries plus just the way maraschino cherries taste like cherries, but like more explosively sweet Mm -hmm. and they're delicious. So I don't, I I know you can do it with strawberries or at least something fairly similar with strawberries. I I don't know about other fruits. 
Yeah, you. De- I, th- I think you definitely can. I, I have done a while you were talking. I did a little bit of research on maraschino cherries. Maraschino is a cherry liqueur originally. Um, so it's it's an alcoholic, like thirty two percent alcohol, and they put cherries in that cherry. Like they made cherry liqueur and for drinks, and then they were like, oh, we can preserve the cherries in the cherry liqueur, and then there'll be like these little alcoholic cherry bombs mm-hmm. that we can put into into things. And mm-hmm. then uh, up until prohibition, there was a little bit of a like there were some that were like a a version of maraschino cherries that were non-alcoholic and they were becoming more popular uh and just as a preserved cherry that wouldn't get you drunk and then during prohibition the alcoholic one went away permanently so hmm. we no longer had that and now we just have this particular thing so if you made maraschino pineapple it would be cherry flavored pineapple because the maraschino uh preserve is definitionally a cherry flavored preserve Right. But I think, still think that'd be amazing. That might honestly. be good. But you can yeah. also make like a strawberry preserve right. that's right. strawberry based. Strawberry it, version of maraschino. It's yeah. just like a brining and sweetening process. And yeah, you uh, make it so sweet that microorganisms can't eat it, basically. Yeah. It pops them. It's really good, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of these uh, strawberry preserves that we have that are just explosively sweet uh they i i I get the feeling that they're not great for me but then what is we're not going to be here for that much longer you know john if you had to guess what century uh is maraschino from 15th wow okay it's 16th but you only Hmm. guessed that because i asked you no, I would have like I, I would have thought around. There were so many uh, brining and preservation techniques around uh, food that emerged in that period, um, mm-hmm. like just you know after the European Renaissance. In, I guess you in, know. In, in I Europe. guess you know a lot about history. This, I know a lot. In- I, I know a weird. I, I know a fair amount about food history. I don't know a lot about anything, to be clear. Like whenever I read a book by an actual expert in a subject, I'm like, I don't know this much about anything. Like I don't even yeah. know this much about myself. Oh boy, that's the we are we are definitely generalists, you and I. I mean, that's the generous word for it. <laughs> um, Mar- maraschino comes from Croatia, but at the time of its creation, that was part of the Venetian Republic. Mm. No, those Wild. were the good old days when Venice <laughs> ruled the world. <laughs> now it's uh, you know. Having said that, I feel like I need to add a correction. Those were not the good old days. <laughs> Just for clarity, that was the facetious good old days. Anybody, uh, I get, I not, not great back then. Oh, I'm really over the narrative that like life was so much better just 500 short years ago. I, it was worse in almost every way. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by the Venetian Republic. Worse in almost every way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're not around to argue, so I don't expect to get any emails about it. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Z100.3. Z100.3, playing all the hits in the order of our choosing. And this podcast is brought to you, of course, by Uncle John's Minecraft Piggyback Rides. Ride a, ride a pig at Uncle John's Minecraft Farm. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Long Pizza. Long Pizza. <laughs> it's so much better than circular pizza. Just goes on forever. We got a, also a Project for Awesome message from John F. of Boston, who says, the P4A is awesome because I can donate to help make the world suck less and to get silly perks such as making Hank or John say, uh, Buddha, 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 a hey, or I oh my God. It's, I think it's, <laughs> John, I think, think what you're is? looking for is abba-da-abba-da-abba-da-abba-da-ay. Or, oh my God, it's burning. Um, oh my God, it's burning. P.S. The social internet allows us to organize awesome stuff like this, but it can also be pretty harmful. Do yourself a favor and take a break from it today. Wow, it's good it's advice, funny, John. The, the day that we're recording this, Facebook is still down. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you did that, John. No, I think the call is coming from inside the house on that one, Hank. <laughs> I'm so curious. If I had to make a prediction, that would be my prediction. But who knows? Oh, I mean, who knows? Uh, we live in strange times. And, yes. and and I will spend the rest of my life hoping for normal, boring times. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This mm. is, I mean, the fact that Facebook is still down is kind of giving me the creeps now. It's been well, hours. we're only here for a little while, Hank. And, and by we, I also mean Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's true on a geological time scale for sure. I mean, uh, companies go bankrupt. Maybe that's today right. is Facebook's day. Probably not, though. <laughs> probably probably not. I think they'll probably pull through. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it. So it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Oh, all right. Let's answer this question from Katie who writes, Dear John and Hank, something I don't fully understand is TV static. Wait, Katie, are you writing to us from the 20th century? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she's just heard about it. Okay. What exactly happens, uh, and why does it make that horrible sounding noise? If the TV doesn't have a signal, then why wouldn't the screen just appear black? Thank you for curing my curiosity, Katie. So the antenna is picking up electromagnetic radiation because there's all kinds of places that that can come from uh, the cosmic microwave background. So the leftover energy of the Big Bang is part of it. There's also localized radio waves. There's Wi-Fi. There's all like that antenna is going to pick up something and the amplifier is going to amplify it to show you something. And it's going to be precisely random. And that is what you are seeing. You're seeing random noise picked up by the antenna and that is what you're hearing too. You are also that the the piece of the signal that is being uh, would normally be interpreted as the sound channel, in addition to the video channel, is also being uh, picked up as as random noise. If you like ch- took a like a text file and like played it as an audio, it would also sound like static. And if you took a text file and you you like you know had it, had it be picked up like the the information from a text file and how to be picked up by an antenna that would also appear to be random to the to the observer. Yeah, that is very cool. And Katie, I wanted to ask this question because I find it fascinating and kind of beautiful that when we look at TV static, we are in part 
looking at the remnants of the Big Bang in the form of cosmic background radiation, which is one of the reasons we know that the Big Bang happened. Yeah, that's the wild thing. There was like an antenna and they were like, why can't we get it to not pick up anything? We should be able to block all radiation from getting to this antenna. And they're like cleaning pigeon poop off of it. And they're like, there's still a signal. We're still picking something up. It was like, oh, it was the Big Bang. Yeah. And it's everywhere because <laughs> it's everywhere because we were once we, we were on once all pretty tightly packed together. Isn't it weird that the, the universe used to be very tightly packed together, but still may have been infinite in size? That's pretty weird. Ooh. That's a tough one for me. I got to say, I have a little. I'm, uh, can you come up with an analogy that will help me? No. Not no, really, no. No. Not just, a lot of just examples. Ima- just of imagine that are- squeezing everything yeah. down, but also there's still everything outside of it. It's great. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. the next time you see static on a TV, which maybe never, <laughs> actually, but <laughs> the next time you do, uh, think yeah. about the fact that you are in part seeing evidence of the Big Bang. Can I tell you, this is a tangent, John, but there, there was in the... the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, there was this conversation about how, like, we are broadcasting out from our planet a detectable signal of of radio waves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, you know, TV broadcasts and, and radio broadcasts. Like, they, they're strong signals and they escape our planet. And so we thought if we looked up in the space up there that we might see other planets broadcasting those those radio signals at us and that, like... If there were other intelligent civilizations out there that they would also have discovered the same, same technology, and if they were around for a long time, then we would just be able to detect them by looking up at the sky. But now, as we enter into um, you know the latter half of my life, th- we we realize that like the period of time during which we will be broadcasting that way may be an extremely short period of time before we find more efficient, better ways of transmitting information. And so it's mm. not like there will be a, a sphere of those signals. It will be more like a very thin shell of those mm. signals. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't mean that there isn't a, a civilization in a star system if we're not getting radio broadcasts from them. It may just mean that they moved past radio broadcasts over the course of 50 years. Right. Which is a very short amount of time. Or, or 100 or 200, which are basically the same amount of time when you're talking about the age of the universe. Not the same amount of time to me, though. <laughs> As a 44-year-old, yeah. I find the notion of 50 years and 100 years to be very different. That's the thing. That's the thing. Okay, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I want to ask one more question. This one's from David, who writes, Dear John and Hank, your recent discussion about Hagrid's dog Fluffy being misidentified as one dog when Fluffy is, in fact, three dogs sharing one set of dog legs was mind-blowing in a way that no hypothetical conversation about mythical creatures should be. But it got me wondering, (laughs) what if you live near Lake Lima, and what if you had a one-headed pet hydra named Fluffy whose head was then cut off by a guy called Hercules. Then oh, okay. the Hydra up. <laughs> grows back two heads. At mm-hmm. that point, do you now have two pets or do you still just have one pet? Now, this is a great question, David, it or is. I should say mm-hmm. it would be a great question if it weren't about Hydras. What do you mean, John? Because, Hank, as I am sure that you are familiar a hydra uh-huh. is a snake at its core. I mean, it's a mythical creature, but at, it's based on a snake. Is it? is it? Yep. Okay. I don't know. What do I know? I'm looking at a right. picture of a hydra right now. It looks snakes. very much like a snake to me. And <laughs> as I'm sure you are already aware, snakes don't have souls. So That's it doesn't not matter. what the... <laughs> It's one snake. Wow. It's nine snakes. Uh, it doesn't matter because yeah. snakes don't have souls. Everybody John's knows snakes gonna, don't John's have souls. Just come out with the heated hot takes. I That's like the idea. Take. No, it Everybody, is. People it, love their snakes. You can love a snake. I'm not saying you can't love a snake. I'm saying it doesn't have a soul. There's a huge difference. I love a lot of things that don't have souls, like but that's, the White River. Is, I also okay. I also don't know uh, much about souls. I will say, but that mm. does, does that mean that it's not like a single organism? 
Doesn't matter. I th- I okay. Well, is the it one ant matter. or is it five hundred ants? <laughs> doesn't matter. I like the idea that the next hydra. So you cut off a hydra's head, but then yep. the two hydras come back. And you got two two snake heads now, and that sounds scary. But they're little babies. They don't know anything yet. They haven't learned how the world works. They don't know up from down. They don't know what 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 they're looking at. So they're they're just like uh ba- they're just like useless little babies. They need to be taken care of now. I'd I'd like to update my argument. Uh huh. I've found some flaws in it. Um, okay. Which is that like you can't say that just because something doesn't have a soul, it, it's irrelevant, right? Like uh, for example, I don't think the sun has a soul, but if it stopped existing, it would be a real problem for me. And yep, everybody else I know. I agree with you on that. So my new argument is okay that they're clones, and so you can have an but infinite still- number of Hydra, and they're still you got to treat them like clones, the same way you would like that famous forest of spruce trees that's just cl- all clones of each other. You got to. So, you say, you, uh, so what I'm hearing you say is that a Hydra is a plant because if a, if it's, a, it's so it's that's not the it's like you can have a clone a, of something. It's still yeah. a still a completely separate individual. I'm saying it's unless clo- it's a tree, in which case maybe yeah. it's not. No, I, well because it's all interconnected, right? So like the root mm-hmm. system is interconnected, and the, you, you're seeing a lot of different trees, but it's all part part of one organism. But I it think has got, a mind. A hydra has a mind? Does a hydra have a mind? Does a, does a tree have a mind? I mean, kind of. Well, so, so let me get you out of your predicament that you've put your own self in. Yeah. The, the hydra's brain is in mm-hmm. its body. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that makes sense. The hydra's, the hydra's snake brain is inside of the hydra's body. You cut off its head. It grows a new two new heads. Mm. But those heads don't have brains in them. Now mm. it's just like, ah, I got more teeth. That way it doesn't have to learn everything over again mm-hmm. and be a useless baby Hydra. Mm-hmm. It's very big, but it doesn't know anything about the world yet. So it's okay. just like goo goo gaga. So your argument is that a Hydra's mind, regardless <laughs> of where its brain is, it's like soul or its being, whatever. Yeah. It's ground of being, as Paul Tillich mm-hmm. would say, not to get theological is somewhere inside of the part of it that that Hercules didn't cut off. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so now it's got two hydra heads but it, those two hydra heads don't have to like relearn on any deep level like how to be a hydra because they they remember because they didn't lose their ground of being when they got their head cut off. Yeah. So it's still one hydra with two heads. It's so still, the definition yes. of whether it's one or two is about where is about being. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is where about- is a hydra's brain? No one knows the answer to that question. And so we get to decide. Congratulations on asking Google something novel for the for the first time in years and years. Um I I feel like I'm having a little bit of a revelation right now, which is that uh, good potentially uh, even things that don't exist, like a hydra, still have some kind of ground of being. They still have some mm-hmm. some being about them. And so now I think maybe maybe hydras do have souls. And that makes me think that maybe snakes have souls. And I've been wrong this whole time. <laughs> maybe snakes do have souls. And just because they're dead-eyed creatures that only want to eat you, that doesn't mean that they don't have souls. It just means that they're... Oh, right. man, I'm I'm going through a hard time right now, Hank. I'm having an intense I, moment. I'm going to bring you back around. And yeah. I'm going to say, if you cut, if you keep cutting that Hydra's head off uh-huh. over and over again, and then you eventually... Its heads are going to be so heavy, it will not be able to go anywhere, and you will have solved the problem. Like, mm. it doesn't take that long because it's exponential. So you cut off one, you got two, you cut off, like, not long after that, you've got 64 heads, and then you got 120. By the time you got 128 heads, that thing, it's just heads on the ground, incapable of moving its legs anymore. It, it's just way too heavy for it to move around. Problem solved. Now you've just got an art installation. You want to know the way that it actually happened, because I know you and I both 
like you, the great, one of the great things about being Hank or me is that we both know so little about Greek mythology that whenever we hear stories, whenever we hear stories from Greek mythology, it's as if we're like, we are hearing them for the first time. So I'm always like, dang, right way. As far as I'm concerned, that is incredible. What a story. Jeez Louise. I didn't expect it to get that violent. You want to know the way that Hercules and his nephew actually uh, like dealt with the Hydra eventually? Yeah. They 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 cut off they kept cutting off heads and cutting off heads and cutting off heads, but then in the end they burned the neck. So we that's know where, actually where a Hydra's you call it a mind, I call it a soul. It's the same thing. We know where a Hydra's mind is. It's in yeah. the neck. Would it be like an infinite source of food if you could just tie it down and cut off its heads? Great idea. That is, I mean, uh, finally, a solution to the fundamental problem of being a person, which is that resources are limited except for hydro resources. That's right. You got to just don't touch the mind. Leave the mind. It's all you can only eat hydra head muscles. It's, they grow like trees. <laughs> I'm glad we saved this bit for the end. Um, so only the <laughs> dedicated listeners who get through our yeah. bloviating can get this kind of high quality Hydra content. <laughs> What's the news from AFC Wimbledon, John? Oh, we, we you know, AFC Wimbledon love to come from behind. It's how we have achieved, uh, I believe... 12 of our 13 points this season. And so when we went 1-0 down against Burton in the 66th minute, my immediate feeling was, thank goodness, because we (laughs) sure weren't going to get anything if we scored first. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, uh, in the 90th minute, uh, again, again, in the last minute at home with Rosiana and actually many other nerdfighters in attendance at Plow Lane, uh, Luke McCormick scored a goal. We tied 1-1. We only had two shots on target the entire game, but we did have most of the possession of the, in the game. We did. We were passing more. I mean, I think we looked pretty good on the whole. It's such a stark contrast from just a season ago. Like, the results aren't that much better, but the football is so much more pleasant to watch. So after 11 games, Wimbledon are, are on 13 points and in 14th place. This is about like just under one quarter of the way into the season. So like mm-hmm. it's starting to be a significant portion of the season. And I feel really uh, pretty good at the moment, but long way to go. We are you know, still not that far off the relegation zone. One of the big problems in League One this season, usually in the past, the main way that Wimbledon has stayed up is that there have been like at least two and often three teams in League One that are just dreadful, that are like in some kind of financial crisis or are just awful, you know, and are, Mm -hmm. and that's been a key to our success. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This season, it seems like so far anyway, there aren't any teams that are really, really terrible, and ah, uh, that's a that's unfortunate. So we'll see. Long way to go. Long way to go. But as, as well, long as we're scoring ninetieth minute equalizers and winners, I'm going to be <laughs> enjoying this season. Yeah. Well, um, it is nice to see you in the middle of the pack. I'd like to see a little, couple green check marks. In yeah, the it'd be great to win a couple football last games. Five. Yeah. That, that's always what I'm looking for is some green check marks in the last five. Yeah. Well, in Mars news, uh, you remember the Ingenuity helicopter? It's the helicopter on Mars. It said, I don't want to, but that's a good thing. They were like, can you take off? And it was like, I think mm. no. I think I'm going to say, I'm thinking I'm going to turn you down. Mm. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was doing what it was designed to do. Um, so it's been very good at scouting around. It's uh, helped Perseverance figure out where to go. But things are going to change as Mars gets colder and the atmospheric pressure goes down, creating conditions that are going to require the helicopter to change how it flies. And to compensate, the helicopter is going to have to spin its rotors faster. So the team behind the Ingenuity did some initial tests to make sure this high-speed spin could work. And it seemed to be going fine. But then on September 18th, when Ingenuity was getting ready for its first test flight with all these changes, the helicopter said... I don't think so. After finding some irregularities in the motors, the team did some more tests to figure out what those irregularities were. And so far they've identified 
some issues with some series of motors that help keep the flight stable. They're very important, even though they're a little bit boring, which is why uh, they're automatically checked off before every flight. And some tests have shown that those motors are a bit wobbly. So it seems like right now this probably isn't a huge deal. And hopefully after the solar conjunction, which is a period of time, during which the sun is between us and Mars and we can't talk to anything over there, um, the helicopter will fly again. So it will not fly before the solar conjunction is over, though. Yeah, but the conjunction is only like two weeks. Okay. So it's not that big of a deal. I just, I always feel worried having a, like a little helicopter on Mars for two weeks without being able to talk to it. It is. That is the worrying period. of. T- it's very strange. It's like, all right, goodbye. And then everybody yeah. just takes takes a break, which they all need desperately. Um, yeah, I'm sure. It's a it's a lot of work to run. Uh, and of course, they're not, you know, they're, ca- they're going to be catching up on other things. <laughs> right. But but, uh, you know, potentially they get to start living. Um, and I think a lot of people, most people are, are already living on uh, Earth time rather than Mars time. But um, you know, you get a you get a chance to take a, a get a little bit less pressure while you can't talk to your robots on Mars. Well, hopefully that helicopter will. I I I don't know how I, why I imagine it this way, but I hope that that helicopter just kind of like takes that two week vacation, like we should all take two week vacations, mm-hmm. and then comes back at the end of it and is like, oh, it turns out that my motors were fine, but like my mind was the problem. <laughs> and now I'm good again. Yeah, I just had to get myself straight. Yeah, you know? I just I just needed a little time away just to like. Yeah. Oh God, get a breath. I was just I was just thinking about how the universe is both changing size and infinite. Yeah, and it's just a lot, you know. Yeah, and then I was thinking about the fact that like in some ways time is just everything getting further apart from everything else, and that was heavy for me. That's a and lot. Yeah. And I was like, I don't feel like I can fly today. I mean, not with that on, not with that weight. Yeah. On a, on a, on a Martian time scale, I've, I barely exist. I've, I've existed for basically no time at all and will exist for basically no time at all. Anyway, thanks for coming to your favorite comedy (laughs) podcast. (laughs) I I realized that there are a lot of people back on earth, uh, rooting for me. That kept me going because where does meaning come from? from each other. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Tabuki Trakavardi. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as we say in our hometown, don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.